Welcome to Stock Stories, episode 115. Welcome. Welcome to the Stock Stories Podcast. My name is Alex and I am your host and stock storyteller for today. Thank you for listening to the show. Stock Stories is the podcast dedicated to helping you, the individual investor, make better investing decisions. And we do that by looking at case studies of real companies as well as mental models. So let's break that down real quick. If you're a new listener, One of our goals in this show is to go through every single company in the S&P 500 because exposure creates opportunity, right? If you don't know about a company, if you don't understand its basic business model, then frankly, you probably don't have any business investing in the company, right? So what's step one? Understand what the company is, what they do, how they make money, and how they're valued, at least at a basic level because then we can do further analysis from there. And so that's what I want to do with this podcast is help create exposure, delve into these different business models to help you and I as investors so we can make better decisions with our portfolio. And then the other side of this podcast is mental models. Mental models are simply thought experiments. This is the philosophy behind decision-making, not just for investing, but really for a lot of things in life. And I love talking about mental models in addition to the case studies of companies because we really get into the philosophy and talk about the other side of things. It's not enough to have a practical understanding of a subject, but the underlying philosophy and principles are kind of what make it work. And so they kind of work together. And so that's really what this show is all about, bringing those two together And today I have a mental model for you. It's been a while since I've done one. So let's get into it. Uh, Today we're going to talk about the mental model of omission. Let's get it. All right. So the mental model for today is omission. And the basic idea of omission is the simple removal of things can lead to wildly different outcomes. And this can be both desirable and undesirable. So sometimes simply leaving things out will change things. And this can apply to many different areas and processes, but let's focus first on the psychological ones. Like let's talk about psychological sense of omission So omission bias, it leads to what's called psychological inertia. And there are a couple related mental models to omission and omission bias that I want to talk about very briefly. So one is the endowment effect. Now, if you've never heard of the endowment effect, it's a really powerful mental model. It's basically when you assign more value to something simply because you already own it. So let's say that, for example, I just bought a new phone and I rarely buy new phones 
probably once every three or four years or something. Um, but my old phone, it was just really busted and it was kind of time to buy a new one. Well, right now I'm kind of staring at this beautiful new phone. I'm kind of amazed at how good it is. And I think it's really valuable and I paid a decent amount of money for it. Now, if I was to believe that this phone was worth, say, more than I paid for it, say I believed it was worth like $2,000, well, that would be kind of ridiculous because out there in the open market, no one would pay me $2,000 for this phone. It's It only costs a few hundred. So I, me believing that it's worth way more than it actually is that's an example of the endowment effect. Just because I'm enamored by it, it's new, it's shiny, it has all these features, and because I have it, I think it's worth more. And so that is really, at its essence, the endowment effect. Now, in this case, omission bias, it might be present because you don't fully consider the true objective value of whatever it is if it belongs to someone else and not you. So you're omitting the perspective of, in this case, market forces, or just, and that's just really a fancy way of saying other people's opinions, right? So that's an example of how omission can lead to the mental model, the endowment effect. Another way that it relates is there's something called the status quo bias. And this is very simply when you're more likely to not do anything differently, aka psychological inertia, So you omit an action or a series of actions just to keep things the way that they are. I look, I'm going to be real with y'all. I, I struggle with this one. A lot of times I just won't take action because I don't know, it's, (laughs) it's just easier not to, and things stay the same. And what, what this, the way this connects to omission bias is if you're omitting an action then you're just, you're literally just being passive about it, right? Like you're leaving things the same. So this can be good and bad. And I think in a lot of ways in life, it's kind of leads to negative outcomes because things happen when people take action, right? Things happen when you raise your hand and say something or when you do something and you serve people or you do things for yourself. That's when your life changes for the better. But when you just kind of sit there and sit in neutral, it's like a car sitting in neutral. You're you're never going to go anywhere, right? You have to put it in drive and press the gas pedal to go somewhere. So that is how mission bias connects to the status quo bias. If you're leaving out action, then you're not going to get the same results as if you acted. Very simple concept, but very powerful. So that's how omission bias kind of connects to a couple other mental models. Now, there's an interesting thought experiment that I read that relates to this mental model, and I want to bring it up because it got me thinking a little bit, and I hope it gets you thinking thinking too. So imagine that you're an athlete, and you're getting ready for a sports event, and you're really excited, you trained for it, finally it, the day comes, and you have knowledge of your competitor, and your competitor is allergic to a certain type of food. Now, right before the event, you both eat a meal together, and unbeknownst to your opponent, you are given the choice to serve them with the allergic food, or you can eat that plate instead, and you're not allergic to the food, only your competitor is. 
So you have this choice. So what do you do? Now, in another scenario, you have the same knowledge as before, but this time you and your opponent are already sitting down to eat and you know that they get served the allergic food by the waiter and you get served the non-allergic food. You didn't necessarily actively choose this, but you know that what's being put in front of them is allergic to them. And the waiter walks away and you have your plate and they have theirs. Do you speak up and say something or do you quietly eat your meal and just move on? Now that is an act of omission and psychological inertia, right? So in many cases, people would consider the active choice of serving the opponent the allergic meal to be more immoral than the passive choice of simply letting them be served something allergic and not saying anything. So what do you think about this? Is it more immoral or is it basically the same thing? Think about that for a moment. Hmm. Objectively, it's the same thing, right? In, in an objective sense, I would say it's, it's the same thing because it's the same effect. You have the power to change things, yet you choose not to, whether or not you actively chose it or not, right? It's kind of like when you don't actively lie to someone, but you just withhold the whole truth from them, that's an act of omission. And there's all sorts of ways that that can play into you and I's psychology. So this is a really important mental model and just one that I think is really worth pondering. Another thing that I thought about was that there's a bias uh, for people to not do or say something based on the context of the situation. So take, for example, a traditional American wedding. Now, if you've ever been to a traditional wedding in America, you know the part where the preacher says, speak now or forever hold your peace. You ever heard them say that, right? And that's indicating that if someone has a problem with the ceremony proceeding as planned, they should speak up now and do so publicly. (laughs) Well, throughout my early and mid-20s, I went to a lot of weddings and My wife and I, you know, all of our friends seem to get married at around the same time. And I think this happens to a lot of people. You know, when you grow up with your peer group, the people who are going to get married tend to get married around the same time. And there's just a lot of wedding activity. So we went to a lot of weddings, especially like last year and two years ago. There's just a a ton. (laughs) And I have never seen anybody actually speak up and say, no, stop the ceremony. The only time I've actually seen anyone do that is in a dramatic movie. And I think that there are a few reasons for this. I think that one, most people are genuinely happy for the couple to marry. So in truth, there is no omission. There's no need for them to speak up. They're not omitting their feelings from being felt because their presence of being there at the wedding is a cosign of the couple's union and of the marriage. But also, I think that for those who would speak up, they avoid doing so for a couple reasons. I think there's a couple psychological factors at play. So one, there's social pressure to approve of the ceremony. I mean, after all, they weren't an invited guest to the wedding. There's also social pressure to remain consistent with the feelings surrounding the wedding itself, 
I mean, weddings are culturally associated with happiness and love around the world, right? And every culture has its own tradition of how they celebrate this. But the general human feeling of love and connection, that's common throughout. And so to speak up and say, no, stop this ceremony, that would really interfere with the the vibe of the whole event. So there's social pressure to keep going with that. And then there's fear of breaking consistency with prior wedding tradition. This would be a really rare thing for someone to speak up in a wedding publicly. So uh, it would break the consistency principle of people not speaking up and just letting letting things go as they may and letting couples get married. And then also I thought about, well, there's a fear also of speaking in public, just in general. This is a really common fear. A lot of people are afraid to even give the toast at weddings because it puts them in a public light, puts them on the spotlight and they have to, <laughs> they have to speak to an audience. And so people are very much afraid of public speaking. This is really common. So how, how does this relate to omission? Well, you know, if you're omitting your feelings at a wedding and you honestly feel that a couple should not be together, I mean, maybe that's not the best time to bring it up, frankly, for the reasons that I just mentioned. But by not speaking up, you're basically saying that you're co-signing the event. So that's just something that I thought of because it's just kind of a common phrase brought up in our in our society when there's a wedding and the preacher says, speak now or forever hold your peace. Well, whoever really actually says anything, right? It's, it's uh, kind of rhetorical, I think, in a sense. And people omit their true feelings because of many of the reasons that I mentioned. And there's definitely people who attend weddings that don't want to be there. I mean, that's definitely a fact. And there's uh, a lot of social niceties and other mental mod- models and biases that are involved in that <laughs> whole event. So uh, I'll, I'll stop talking about weddings, but it, I just thought it was interesting how this mental model of omission could connect to this cultural ceremony. Now, let's bring this back to investing. Now, omission has so many applications in investing, and most notably, there are two that I think of. The first is omission of risk when analyzing an investment. To me, this is the most obvious and frankly, it's the most important. Number two is omission of recognizing positive characteristics, which would otherwise lead to a very successful investment. All right, let's talk about the first one. So as Warren Buffett always says, rule number one in investing is don't lose money Rule number two is don't forget rule number one. You probably heard that before at some point. It's often repeated in investing circles and investing books. And okay, that's that's wonderful. Thank you, Warren Buffett. Well, how do you actually do that? <laughs> how do we actually not lose money? And that's kind of a tough question when you really dig into it and peel back the layers and look at, look at logistically how do you actually select an investment that doesn't lose money? Well, In its simplest form, I think that the answer to that question is to understand and avoid risk in all of its identifiable forms. Now, when looking at a potential investment, I'm trying to answer questions like, what could go wrong with this? 
kind of apply that negative lens to the situation. And this can apply to everything from a company not really having a durable competitive advantage to hard to find risks that are buried on the company's balance sheet. It can apply to so many aspects of the company and of the investment itself that it's important not to omit the act of searching for risks and understanding risks. So in your investing practice, please do do not omit that step. Do not omit asking those questions of what could go wrong? What are the risks here? I'll give you a real life example. So the other day uh, I was thinking about Pinterest. I was thinking about Pinterest stock and I was thinking about the company. You know, it's a fast growing company that we discussed before. If you want to hear more about that, go back to episode 63. And I was thinking about it. And I'm like, hmm, it seems like it could be a promising investment. You know, it's growing fast. It's It's got a really unique social aspect to it. There's some huge percentage of women in America that already use Pinterest. Their revenue is growing really fast. I think they'll be profitable soon, consistently profitable. Um, it just has a lot of a lot of good characteristics of kind of like a, a young growth company. But then I reminded myself of a few things. Okay, I had to be real with myself. Number one, Pinterest does not have a consistently profitable track record yet. It, it just doesn't. It's too new. It's too young. Number two, it has only been trading publicly for a year or so. I mean, it just IPO'd, I think, in early 2019. So, you know, it just doesn't really have a track record within the markets that much yet. And from studying IPOs and companies that have recently IPO'd, I know what the data shows. And the data shows that most IPOs, if you invest around the IPO price, it or near the date of the IPO, it ends up being a failed investment. Now, there are obviously many exceptions to this, but if you look at IPOs as a group, especially within the technology sector, which Pinterest is a part of, your your chances of failure are higher than not. And so just looking at that data, I have to be honest with myself and just recognize that that could be the case here with Pinterest. I don't know, but that's another thing to consider. And then number three and this is was really the kicker for me. The first two things I could get over that because you know people invest in companies that aren't profitable yet all the time. You know it's called angel investing. You know people buy really small companies that have a really promising founder and entrepreneur behind them, and and you better believe there were angel investors who bought into Pinterest way before it was publicly traded, and they've already probably made a lot of money right now because the company sold equity in the public markets. But as for you and I, as, as investors who are just buying in the public markets, presumably, then, you know, we need to think about things maybe in a slightly different light. Uh, so this, the third thing is that I can't quite figure out if it's competitive advantage is durable or not. And specifically, I'm thinking about compared to other technology companies competing for advertising dollars because Pinterest, that's how they make their money is through advertisements, through companies paying them to have these promoted pins on the website. So 
I just haven't really figured that question out yet. So in this case, I didn't end up buying any shares. And maybe there are some risks that I was omitting, but I may never actually know until they reveal themselves at some later date. So, uh, you know, I was looking for the risks. I didn't want to omit thinking about what could the problems be with this company and with this potential investment. So that's a real life example for my life. Now, this leads to the second application of omission in investing, and that is making an investment mistake of omission. So using the same example, if Pinterest stock skyrockets over the years following me recording this, my initial feeling will be pretty bad because I never bought shares, right? Now, this is kind of how I feel about Amazon right now because I never bought shares of Amazon back when it was at a much lower price and the company was younger. And I bet a lot of investors probably feel that way. But the thing is, I can't beat myself up about it because there are always amazing opportunities that you and I are going to miss. I really want to emphasize that point. I'll repeat it. I can't beat myself up about it because there are always amazing opportunities that you and I are going to miss. And you know what? That's okay. Our job as investors is not to magically know and act on every great opportunity in the stock market. It is to make sure we get a few of them and avoid most of the bad opportunities that are fraught with risk. Look, I miss Amazon. I miss Apple. I miss Facebook. It's all okay. I'm going to miss many more amazing stocks. Mistakes of omission in this sense are much easier to bear because it's not necessary to correct them to be successful. You can still be successful just by avoiding a lot of the bad investments out there. Mistakes of omission as far as identifying risk are far more important because missing them can completely derail an investment if not properly identified and avoided. If you look at a company and you analyze it and it looks amazing, looks like an incredible investment, um, you know, it's profitable, it's got all these characteristics and things that we like in an investment, healthy company, low valuation, et cetera, et cetera, good growth prospects, blah, blah, blah. But then you miss the fact that, say, uh, a competitor is rising very quickly uh, and um, is just stealing market share very fast away from this company. If you miss that one fact, if you omit that one risk, it could derail your entire investment. And frankly, that's that's what happens sometimes is the mistakes um, that we make end up derailing an entire investment, but that's okay. We're just gonna be good portfolio managers and diversify and find a lot of characteristics in companies that we think are amazing. And yeah, maybe one or two will fail, but there'll also be one or two that are just absolutely incredible and can change our career as investors. So omit risk as much as you can, and don't worry too much about omitting those amazing investments from your portfolio, because you're not going to get all of them. In fact, you're probably not going to get most of them as far as actually identifying and acting on investing in some amazing stocks, but that's okay. If you get a couple throughout your investing career, things can be pretty good for you. Um, and that goes for me as well. Um, so 
just uh, think about the mental model of omission. What are you leaving out of the process and how is that going to influence your particular outcome in a given situation? All right, so that is the episode for today. My name is Alex and I am your stock storyteller. Thank you so much for listening to the Stock Stories podcast. I have been seeing a couple more uh, more reviews on Apple Podcasts. So thank you so much for the, the reviews. And uh, if you haven't left a review yet on that platform, I would really appreciate it, especially at this phase in the show's show's growth and the show's life, it really helps to have more, uh, more reviews on Apple podcasts. So thank you so much for doing that. I really appreciate it. If you have any suggestions for me or any comments, or you want, just want to talk about stocks, send me a direct message, send me a direct message on Instagram at stock storyteller. And I'd love to connect with you. So with that, this has been the stock stories podcast. Happy investing. And I'll see you next week. presented here on Stock Stories is for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only. You and you alone are responsible for your investment and financial decisions. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, or financial advisor that can analyze your specific situation in the context of your goals and circumstances.